Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Good day, everyone. This is Lou Weiss with Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're here again, and we have a we have a great show. We have a great guest, uh, Ed uh, Marsh, who is with Concilium, a consulting firm on how manufacturers can do better. So, Ed, welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Lou. great to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about Concilium. Concilium, sorry. Yeah, so Concilium is a consulting firm. I'm, I'm the sole member of the firm. I'm the consultant that works with all my clients. My focus is on working with lower middle market to middle market industrial manufacturers, say kind of 50 to $300 million companies, often capital equipment companies. Um, a specialty I have is actually the U.S. subsidiaries of German companies in some cases. Um, but the emphasis of my business is all on revenue growth. There's a lot of people that are great process engineers to help on the back end that can come in and, you know, Six Sigma and 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 all of those kinds of things. There's great finance people. What I focus on is marketing and sales, certainly some strategy and working with the board, um, a lot of technology to support it. But the essence of it is marketing and sales. So it's about revenue growth, which for many manufacturers is a place that they're not comfortable. You know, they've grown up in the plant. They 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 know the feeling of the press when it comes down and how the floor kind of rumbles and shakes. They know the smell of the cutting oil and all those kinds of things. But the marketing and sales is is you know it's it's not quite as comfortable for them. So that's where I focus, especially today with uh, AI and ERP and SRP and you know all the rest of these technologies. So the horseshoe manufacturer, he doesn't know from all that stuff. So he brings in a consultant or hires people to do sales and marketing. Uh, but he doesn't know what they're doing. All he's looking for is how much was my sales last month since you started? He doesn't necessarily know how it's done, why it's done. All he knows, he's now paying out a lot more money to get more traction. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, he's fired. So it, it's something that I've seen over the years where manufacturers, uh, and this is actually part of the reason for Manufacturing Talk Radio, that we wanted to bring to the masses um, more information, more tools, and simplify it so that they have a better understanding that it's not really voodoo or black magic. Um, it's it's all to your benefit. You're going to have to spend a little bit of money, but either I have a favorite expression, change or die. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. The problem is that for many of these companies, there's a very strong, and, and I understand, I mean, it's it, they're conservative companies. Um, and And so the mindset is, what we've done has gotten us here. Why should we change? I mean, it's worked really well. We've got a three-generation company that's doing $75 million. That's a lifestyle business for many members of the family. It's creating good jobs in the community. It's an anchor institution in the community. It contributes to all the, the little league and the charities and all of that. It's worked. It's worked really well. So wait a minute. Why are you telling me that I got to change or die? I've got 75 years that shows that's not the case. Now, I believe very strongly that I mean, the internet has been so transformational. Many of these companies haven't quite wrapped their mind around it. I mean, even at, 
there's a dissonance between the way they buy for their company and the way they sell for their company. You know, every time they want to buy something, they go to the internet. The CEO on Saturday morning with his tablet and his cup of coffee, the purchasing agent every day during the week, they always go to the internet. But then you talk to them about what their buyers do. Well, I'm not sure our buyers really use the internet that much. Or our buyers, you don't understand our buyers. Our buyers are different. Our industry is different. Nobody will use the chat bot. All, all those kinds of things. Right, right. Well, it's uh, it's true that, I mean, I remember our first website uh, for my metal company, All Metals and Forge Group, uh, was developed in 1994. So we were early adopters. Right. Uh, we had actually gone to Washington, D.C. for a governmental uh, event where the Internet was literally handed over to private enterprise. It, it was at the... Washington Hotel, two blocks from the White House, and I don't know, there were 50 or 100 engineers with broken horn-rimmed glasses and plastic pen holders and so on. And I was there for two days, and I had no idea what this was really all about. And I came out of that, I called up by co-host, and I said to Tim, I said, Tim, I don't know what this is all about, but it's going to be huge. We had our first website in 94. Uh, we are, uh, we've had three or four. We're in the process right now of rebranding again. And part of that's part of it. You have to keep changing. You have to keep improving. You, you, you get stale. The Google looks at you. If you haven't made a change in 10 years, Google says you're done. All right, so here's a question for you. Do you have your own metals distribution business in the metaverse yet? Do I have what? A metals distribution business in the metaverse. You know, many people think that that's going to be kind of this virtual reality universe will be where a lot of business gets done in some ways. It's, you know, it feels to me to be um, likely an absurd, absurd extrapolation. On the other hand, there's enough potential that it probably makes sense for a company to just put a small amount of money into it to stake out a little bit of territory and 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 have that claim staked in case it does develop. Well, All Metals and Forge Group, as I said, we've had four websites over the years. And, you know, we get uh, when we first started it, we decided that not only do we want to be a provider of raw materials, but we want to be an information resource. Right. That's the way it was. Um, and we got to a point where we were getting anywhere from 40 to 45,000 guests, visitors to our website every wow. month. Wow. Uh, now we are rebranding and we're looking to take away some of the information resources because we're getting too many students and professors. And so I'm looking to more focus on not only the owner of the company, but the engineering staff and so on and so forth. And uh, it's working. Uh, so I'm going to wind up getting less traffic, but more important traffic. But yeah, traffic, traffic's funny. Traffic's a vanity metric that many people get obsessed with without stopping to think about what percent of that traffic is even relevant to my business. Right, right. So we, we're, in, we're in that process right now. Uh, I mean, to, for someone to be... 30 years in the internet. I mean, that's like, really? Right. That's great. Congratulations. <laughs> Many people can say that.
Right. So let me ask you. Uh, so concilium, um, how do you approach your potential clients? So that really depends on on what problem they're most concerned about solving. Um, I've got a framework that I call ORE, Overall Revenue Effectiveness, which is an analog to OEE, which many manufacturers instinctively understand. So with OEE, you think about a production line that's a an aggregation of a number of steps, and the overall efficiency, the net efficiency, is the product of the efficiency of each of those steps along the way. Well, revenue growth is exactly the same. You have to understand buyers. You have to create content answers buyers' questions. You have to optimize that around keywords they're going to get looked for. You have to optimize getting found for the keywords to actually get clicked and then get people to your site and then engage them and then convert them to leads and then convert leads to meetings and meetings to qualified opportunities and opportunities to sales and sales to ongoing relationships with buyers. It's the same as a manufacturing line. you get steps along the way and each of those operates at a level of efficiency. Now your manufacturing line, each step is probably say 98% efficient in, in your revenue growth process. I'd say a typical manufacturing firm maybe converts 2% of their visitors to contacts or leads that they can begin to nurture a relationship with. So you can imagine if you can actually double that and everything remains linear from there, then you're doubling your revenue without doing anything else. Um, then if you can actually train your sales team, hire better salespeople, train your sales team to sell more effectively, then suddenly your ability to get meetings, to turn those meetings into projects, to win deals from those projects, each of those increases as well. So with a few changes along the way, your net revenue at the end can not only be more predictable and higher margin, but grow in, in aggregate as well. So, yeah, absolutely. And so the answer to your question, with that background, the answer to your question is, sometimes salespeople tell me, we've got this huge problem, we discount too much. We need to figure out what to do about the sales team discounting. Other times, a manufacturer will come and say, when we get to the table, we win more than our fair share of deals. We're just not getting conversations. We don't get enough leads. Sometimes they'll say to me, geez, I hear all this stuff about social media. What, what should we be doing on social media? So there's often some kind of a symptom that a manufacturer, normally I'm talking to the president or CEO, sometimes the board, that they're aware of, they're uncomfortable with, they've been stewing about for a while, they've talked to a bunch of people and gotten a bunch of half-assed answers, and they're not quite sure what's going on. And, and that's where we start. And then we begin to find some quick wins, some low-hanging fruit to use you know, these, these, these buzzwords, demonstrate that making some simple changes can have a return. And then we step back and we say more holistically, let's look at revenue growth from the board on down through marketing, through, through strategy, through marketing, through sales and the technology. And let's identify if we want to take a, call it a total quality management approach to this process. Let's figure out, let's prioritize the areas that we want to work on. One of the things that we did, and I mentioned it before that I've been doing this for multiple, multiple, multiple decades in the metals business. And when I decided that, what are we going to do different to bring more traffic, bring more people to the knowledge base of who we are? And I woke up in the middle of the night, November 13th, 2013. It was a very profound uh epiphany that 
I got hit with. Let's I, and I came from the era of radio. I was born in the forties, and everything was radio. And I said, "Let's do a radio talk show." <laughs> and the first reaction, of course, was, "What are you crazy? You know what? What are we going to talk about?" I I don't know, but we've done eight hundred shows already, wow. and what we have done is we've approached the marketing. Uh, topic with manufacturers. The plan was have manufacturers talk to manufacturers. Some people will find us, All Metals and Forge Group. We let all of our customers know, hey, do you know about our Manufacturing Talk Radio podcast? Do you know about our Manufacturing Outlook e-zine? We put out a 60-page uh, e-zine every month that talks about manufacturing outlook. You built a whole media organization around manufacturing. That's it. What a great vision. Thank you. Now we have to make money with it, but that's another story. <laughs> so, well, based on how you figured out how to make money with metal, uh, my guess is you'll figure out how to make money with media. Too. Uh, with all the proper help and tools, I definitely will. But the point was that uh, we we came up with this idea to help manufacturers. And uh, there's a lot of other things that we do marketing-wise, which I don't want to talk about here, because uh, my friendly competitors are probably watching and listening and saying, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that being said, by the way, while we're still uh, here at the middle point of the show, why don't you give us uh, the name and URL and phone numbers and so on so people can reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. The website is conciliumglobalbusinessadvisors.com. So that's C-O-N-S-I-L-I-U-M, globalbusinessadvisors.com. You can also go to edmarshconsulting.com that will take you to the same place. So that's a little bit easier. Um, my phone number is 978-238-9898, 978-238-9898. And my email is em, as in Ed Marsh, em at cgbadv.com, cgbadv.com, Consilium Global Business Advisors.com. So you're in Ipswich, Massachusetts. I am. How far are you away from Cape Cod? <laughs> Cape Cod's a different world. I, I I talk to people about Boston. People don't realize how kind of um, parochial the Boston area is. There's North Shore, right? Metro West, and there's South Shore. And and I tell people, so I'm on the North Shore. I'm up near Salem and Gloucester and um, places like that. And there are many countries in the world that I've been to many more times than I've been to Cape Cod and the South Shore. So <laughs> the answer to your question as a crow flies is not that far. It's probably 40 miles. It's probably more like 100 miles to drive. Um, but it's a world apart in terms of, you know, where we spend our time. Well, I have been going to Provincetown, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, since I'm 21. The beautiful place. Oh, it's that's where I rest my brain so that I can come up with more bubbles. So it, it works for me. What's interesting is there's certain flight paths in and out of Logan where you realize you go over the tip of Cape Cod, P-Town, basically just shortly after you come off the runway. You don't realize that when you look at the map, but it's actually quite close. Oh, it's very close. I used to fly from LaGuardia Airport to Boston 
change to PBA Airlines, and it was a 20-minute flight in a DC-3. Uh, a tail dragger passenger plane. Right. It was an experience. Right. Anyhow, so uh, you're you're dealing with uh, uh, clients that are in that mid-market? Yeah, I, th I find that from somewhere, you know, different companies have different degrees of maturity. In some cases, it's 20 million. In some cases, 30, maybe 50. But they have to have a, a, a critical mass where they've got money to put into marketing, where they've got money to put into sales, where it's not just trying to hope that they get another deal to try to keep the lights on, but they can they can invest in the business. And, and wherever that transition point happens, then we've got some material to work with. And typically what I do is advise. So I'll start with the CEO and or the president, in some cases, the board will develop the vision together and the roadmap. And then I'll coach team members, but they do the work. I'm not an agency. I'm not a, a company that comes in and, and does work for them. They need to build that muscle themselves. And that's what I help them do. Uh, do you get uh, much in the way of pushback? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. No, we, we tried that. Yeah, we did that. It didn't work. Yeah. Um, I've forgotten more about sales than you're ever going to know. Our yeah, customers right. don't use the internet. Yeah, of course, there's there's massive pushback. And, you know, some of it is just natural resistance to change. Some is that people somehow have this idea that because it's digital, it's completely different. Um, so one thing that I try to do is help remind many of these companies about the change they went through in the 80s or 90s when they implemented manufacturing process to improve their quality and output. And at that time, I'm sure that they went through trauma where longtime employees said, this stuff from Japan isn't going to work here. You know, we can't consistently produce quality. You're crazy to think that works. Why are you asking him his opinion? He doesn't know. He just works on the line. All those kinds of things were similar objections that were raised at the time. And some people had to leave the organization. And eventually, they worked their way through it. They implemented those processes. And now they wouldn't consider turning back because that's the backbone of their consistent quality output. So there's an opportunity, a challenge, and an opportunity to kind of do that same sort of an upgrade on the front end of the business. But that involves change and certainly resistance. Are you familiar with the ISO quality system? Certainly, sure. Okay. We, um, at the same time that we were getting involved with the internet in 94, uh, ISO came to the United States from Switzerland and, okay, let's shake the whole tree. So <laughs> I said, I want, I wanted, I want to get involved with this ISO because that'll clearly help us structure our company to maximize quality. Because if we do this process every day, the same way and looking at continuous improvement, it's going to help our business. I had the most unbelievable pushback. Why do we have to be dictated to by a foreign country? Why this? Why that? Why the other thing? Well, anyway, a year later, the day that we got our certification registration, one of the salespeople got a phone call from AC Compressor in Appleton, Wisconsin. That was our first order. 
the buyers called up and said, I'm looking to buy da, 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 da. but I'm really having a problem because my customer wants a, an ISO registered company to be the supplier and I can't find anybody. Well, you just did. And I'll never forget the salesperson. Do we have a certificate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got it this morning in the mail. And uh, boom, 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 we got the order. That was the last pushback that I ever got because we hear it all the time. Are you ISO? Yes. Okay, good. Let's go. So I'll tell you, I see a similar thing happen in two different ways. Um, I, I advise every manufacturer to create some version of whatever their equipment is, how to improve the OEE of this equipment. And it's got to be substantive. I mean, it can't be some kind of vapid crap. It's got to be really detailed and 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 helpful to a third shift maintenance manager, to a production engineer, to all those kind of people that know their stuff and 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 won't tolerate fools. But if you create that, then it's amazing when you find accounts that have been long-standing bulwarks of competitive um, installations, and you start to see some downloads of that guide come from that company you've never been able to get into because they tell you everything's fine, the machines are great, we don't need to talk to you, we're happy with what we got, and you see them starting to manifest that kind of interest that clearly indicates that things aren't great, that becomes a very powerful change moment. Another one is when I talk a lot about chatbots. Chatbots can do a couple of things. A chatbot on a website can help a visitor much more efficiently navigate the site and be respectful of their time and help them find what they want. That's number one. Number two, rising generations of engineers prefer to engage that way. And so I always hear our buyers won't use those and you know blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly here comes a global director of engineering for one of their multinational target accounts that engages with the chatbot. And it's like, wow, that really did work. And now they've got a conversation going that moves quickly to a meeting. And, you know, maybe it doesn't become an order, but suddenly there's an acceptance. Like your salesperson that got the order because you had the vision to get that ISO. Then suddenly people say, maybe there is something to this. Right, right. And just yesterday, we passed our 29th order. Congratulations. It's gotten to be old hat now, but we do maintain the system to the nth degree there's no if ands or buts you don't do this the order can't move forward I, we right. have all kinds of blocks right if you don't do that if you leave out that information if you don't do it everything freezes can't move forward right so we put in blocks to make sure that everybody knows that if you don't do it this way it's not moving but why don't companies do that same thing with their sales process? Why don't they have the sales process as well-defined? Why don't they say, you can't call this a qualified deal unless you have the names and contact numbers and you've had conversations with at least five of the nine people on the buying team? For some reason, again, on the production operation side, it's it's good business. And on the revenue growth side, it's you know craziness. I don't get it. Like why? Why, yeah. why do I have to do that? Right. Why, why do we have to be dictated to by a foreign country? Right. Switzerland's not such a dictatorial authority. <laughs> so, well, I, this, I find this very interesting. Are there any particular points that you would like to uh, bring out uh, prior to our wrapping up this session? Yeah, I'd say I'd say a couple. Number one, just 
when you're sitting in the car in traffic someday or out on your boat or you finish cutting the grass and you're having a beer or whatever, whatever you do that gives you a moment for reflection, think about what would happen if you took that rigorous management process engineering mindset from the back end of your business applied to the front end. Number two, think about how buyers are changing. Many of the engineers you've worked with for years are retiring. They're being replaced by people that do business differently than those that you're accustomed to talking to. And number three, think about whether you get enough business from new customers. Many companies rely on repeat business, and that's a big concentration risk. But to get new customers takes no approaches. It's, uh, it's the best advice that you can give. And uh, I subscribe to it uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, one of my goals is I want partners and legacy accounts and your business will flourish. Right. Um, we have systems in place, to, uh, as you pointed out. How do we get a new customer? How do we impress a new customer? And I, I, I have a, I, I don't have one here in front of me, but we have when we get a, a new prospect who, who really doesn't know anything about us, and I know there are no four chops anywhere that does what we do, and that is we have made sample forged rings, machined, different levels of machining on each side, different chamfers on each corner, and a beautiful black box with our name in gold we put it in a box with a letter explaining what we're doing and so on and so forth and if i tell you this was the best forget about rulers forget about memo pads forget about uh, uh, pencils forget about all that crap because it winds up in the garbage right. or somebody winds up picking up off your desk. Oh, I need the ruler. And that's the last you see of it. Right. This sits on your desk and there are two holes in it that shows how we drill holes. Use it as a pen holder. Right. Has our name engraved, our phone number engraved, everything, all the information about that ring. It's a $50, $60 investment. And we ship it out to them. And I can't begin to tell you how many times people call up raving and I won't mention the numbers, but uh, last year we sent out about 140 of these sample rings and the one first time order dollar value return was more than a million dollars. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So I'll, I'll, I'll add one more to those that I gave you before. And that's that you can get the metrics to run your revenue growth just as effectively as you can manufacturing. You, you got to invest in a little bit of technology, but you could know for sure that let's say you did a hundred of those at 60 bucks a piece, that $6,000 returned, you know, however much, not only in revenue, but also in profit. And you could compare that to what you spent on Google ads, what you spent on trade shows. You could see the number of leads, the number of orders that come from it, the cost per customer acquisition. All of that kind of stuff. None of it should be a mystery. None of it should be gut feeling. Right. It's all there for companies that want to do it. I mean, how many people send out a pen and then track and see how many orders you got as a result of this pen? Well, I don't send out pens. I happen to send out a five-pound ring. Right. And it was, oh, hell, I don't care. 
$1.7 million on 140 rings. First time order. I didn't bother checking anything after that because it didn't make any difference. And many manufacturers don't, and this is not a critique of you, but many don't track lifetime value. And and, and when you think about, yeah, you sell one machine. My clients typically are selling machines. They sell one machine for a million bucks, but that means what? $100,000 every year in support related revenue. Another machine five years later, another machine five years after that. So the lifetime value magnifies many times the original value as well. Legacy. Right. Exactly. Ed Marsh, thank you for joining us and telling us about Concilium. Uh, I'd like you to give your uh, credentials again one more time. So Ed Marsh, M-A-R-S-H, you'll find me on LinkedIn and, and, and that's where I spend most of my time. The website you can get to at edmarshconsulting.com or conciliumglobalbusinessadvisors.com, C-O-N-S-I-L-I-U-M. Okay, everybody, uh, you've watched us a million times. We're on every Tuesday. We have other shows uh, that during the course of the month, we've got five or six different shows. Go to jacketmediacode.com and you'll see all of our shows. Go to YouTube for Manufacturing Talk Radio and uh, when you uh, listen to those shows, and there's a lot of great stuff, there's a lot of people listening to our shows, um, take, take a breather, take a rest, listen to a show, and don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button. We, we'd like to know if we're making our mark. You're making a mark with that yellow blazer, I'll tell you that. Uh, well, on another time, Ed, we'll talk about this yellow jacket. All right, sounds good. I've got almost as many episodes that we've done, 800. I've got about 800 stories about this jacket. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you for joining us and uh, stay healthy. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the show, please like and subscribe, share on social media, or leave a review. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Rumble, or your favorite podcast app. Visit us online at mfgtalkradio.com for our other episodes. We have also included links to our advertisers below. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.